Amen. Um, that wasn't busting a gut because of a sense of impatience, but it was a sense of the Spirit stirring stuff inside me. It was like, you know, stuff's happening. Stuff is happening at the moment, and uh, it's very exciting. I was getting a, a, a sense there that, um, uh, slightly aside from what I wanted to talk about today, is that I've been getting this revelation of grace and how amazing grace is and how a little bit scary it is, actually, um, how radical the message of grace is. But the gist of it is, and it brings huge hope to all of us, that it doesn't matter what we've been through, it doesn't matter what we've experienced, it doesn't matter what limitations we have put on ourselves in the past, the grace of God and the blood of Jesus means that we can boldly approach the throne of grace completely justified, just as if none of that stuff had happened. You know, and I just felt like the Lord had me to declare over every person here, it is a new day from now, okay? You can come and leave all of your history behind you you can, I mean, keep the good history. But stuff that's held you back or has limited you in any way or given you a mindset that says, I can't do that, just leave it behind you because the grace of God is here and he is declaring it is a new day for each one of you. And whatever, it, whatever circumstances you are living in, and some of you may be in, you know, living in the context of chronic illness, things that have like gone on for long times. That's what chronic means. It means things that have just gone on and on and on and on and on and on. But the grace of God is here to say it could change now. At this moment, it is a new day. It doesn't matter how many times you've been prayed for before. Today is a new day and the grace of God is here to empower and to let you take a step into a new season of your life. And I can feel, just as I'm saying this, I can just feel it like resonating with so many people in this, in this room. Whether it is sickness, whether it is history, whether it is, you know, guilt or shame or, or whatever it is, it is time, as Avril said, to take a step out of it, to leave it behind and step into a brand new day where everyone is equal. Everyone is equal in terms of their access to the kingdom, access to our Heavenly Father, because we can all approach the throne of grace by the blood of Jesus. We can just rush up into our dad's lap and he's pleased to see us. Every single person here, no one is excluded. No one. Okay? That one's for free. I've, it's sort of connected, actually, because the other thing that that um, that was kind of resonating through my mind was a word that was prophesied over me right at the beginning of this adventure when I was in Toronto by this wonderful lady called Isabel Allen, who uh, kind of gave this amazing prophecy over me that just kind of opened up everything and, and just laid a load of stuff out. But one of the first things she said, she said, Phil, 
<clears throat> you know, you've come to the Lord sometimes with some reservations. A feeling that you can't get all the way in. She said, it's as if you've come to the table expecting a few crumbs to have fallen off the edge. But what you don't realise is that the whole table has been set just for you. Okay? The whole table. It's a feast that has been laid out for you. But you're coming to it thinking, oh, perhaps I can just get a few crumbs off the corner. You know, if there's a bit of overflow left. Uh, the good stuff is for someone else. For someone else's history. And, you know, that has been the truth. That has been the truth. I have, you know, not had a convincing belief that actually God wants to release the blessings of heaven upon me. I haven't. It's like, it's whether it's... Um, you know, feelings of unworthiness or uh, lack of anointing or lack of education or resources or whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Uh, but I've had those feelings that, that maybe, you know, that's not for me, that's for someone else. And there's others who are more qualified, more able, more worthy. But the truth is, the only thing that stops us from accessing the resources of heaven which is everything, okay? And this is like uh, experiencing his presence, uh, experiencing his love, receiving uh, resources of heaven, finances, uh, healing, whatever, is this. Because actually he has done everything on that cross, not actually that one, but one quite like that, he has done everything on the cross to grant us access, full access to the kingdom of heaven. You know, when he died on the cross and shed his blood and was flogged on his back and had the crown pressed in his head, all of those different things that happened, he was breaking the curse that had held us back from accessing those resources. When it was done, when he died, he said, it's finished. Those were kind of almost his last words. Almost his last words. My heckler will probably pick me up and say, no, it was into, into okay, I commit my spirit or something like that. But anyway, he said, it's finished. And it was finished. Jesus died once and for all. For every sin that was committed, every sin that is being committed, and every sin that will be committed in the future. His blood was shed and it is enough. It has dealt with it. It is finished. And therefore, we have access into the kingdom of heaven. We do. To reach up and pull down the, the things of heaven. And this is why, you know, Romans talks about being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Because it is our minds that limit us. Because in our minds, we think, I can't do it doesn't work. When I pray for people, they get worse. When I pray for people, I catch what they've got. It's like, you know, this is what the mind says, because the mind has been educated by... <laughs> that tickled old Wendy. <laughs> but it's true, it, it's like our history dictates the way we think and the way we've been brought up dictates the way we think and what our expectations are. That's why so often like our, 
upbringing, you know, how our parents have treated us, um, things that have happened to us in our history can so often make us think, you know, okay, that's not going to work for me because, you know, I know what I'm really like, sort of thing. But the truth of the matter is, the cross is so complete and so awesome and so powerful that it has dealt with every objection that you might raise that says why you can't access the resources of heaven. And I am gradually getting to learn that. And my, my mission in life is, like, just like we were saying in our prophecy stream the other day, it's not to kind of raise up great prophets that will open up the heavens and call fire down and that, but it's actually to demystify the process to actually say, actually, it's quite easy to hear God's voice. It's available. It's available to every single one of us. We are all his sheep and we all hear his voice. Well, it's the same with the kingdom. It's the same with encountering his presence. It's, ex- it's the same with enjoying intimacy with him. We all have access. We all have the right, the legal right, to get in there. Someone nodding up from the back there. Or have they expired in my preaching? It's a bit like falling out the window, isn't it? <clears throat> so, what we're on about then is re-educating ourselves, bringing ourselves to a place where we can discount our history. This is like the New Day thing. You see, we've, we've really got to come to God fresh, his mercies are new every morning as that precious song from about the 70s used to say you know, you can come in the grace of God to him just as if you had never made a mistake in your life, okay just as if like, you you know all of those times when you'd prayed for someone and they hadn't got healed or all the times that you'd asked to experience his presence and hadn't received it as if those had never existed. You come in complete newness every day. And that is what the Lord is saying to you today. There is nothing, every single person in this room, there is nothing that will stop you from getting as far into the kingdom as you want. There's nothing, okay? Nothing at all. And he wants to bring that into your heart. He wants those words to go deep into your spirit until you believe it. And it's a journey. It's a journey that we're on. Now, I'm going to share a few little stories which some of you will be familiar with. I make no apologies. But it's part of my journey, you see, of how I'm getting in closer and closer and closer. Now, I am one of those annoying people now that experience the presence of God really easily the vaguest whiff of his presence around us and I just feel it and it's just so lovely but I wasn't like that I used to be one of those I had that oak of righteousness anointing you know that when everyone was falling over around you and gyrating in the presence of God and shaking and shikada rum of the hiring and all of this sort of stuff I was thinking what on earth is that going on? What, what about me? It's me, it's me. What about me? 
it's like, you know, wh- what's happened? Why, why am I missing this? And um, that is the person I was. I was incredibly frustrated by it. And I, I was very hungry for it. I think I've said this before. We've, um, you know, as like young married Heather and I would take off all over the place. To, if we'd heard someone was speaking or someone had come over from another country and that they knew something about the Holy Spirit, we'd pack the car up with the kids in the back and give them a banana and off we'd go. And like, you know, like six o'clock in the morning or whatever, oh, we don't want to go in the car. Yes, you do. <laughs> pack them all up and we'd go over and we'd drive several hours just to go to a church meeting, you know, and to experience. There was a hunger there but also a frustration that we couldn't get into it. It wasn't happening. And <clears throat> But I will say, it's, it's been quite a long journey because some of those babies are quite old now. <laughs> but, <laughs> older, young at heart. We're all young at heart, aren't we? But the truth of the matter is, I'm getting there. Actually, and it's good, you know, you can look at me and say, it's an encouragement, actually, because it is possible to go from, I didn't feel a thing, to someone who experiences the presence of God very regularly, who hears the voice of God, who uh, knows the plans and purposes that he's got for me, just very, very clearly now. I have, a, I have such an assurance of being in the right place at the right time with the right people doing the right thing. You know, there's a conviction to that which brings such a fulfilment to life. It makes life such fun to do because anything else that comes at you from different sides, any circumstantial stuff, yeah, it's unpleasant, but you know it doesn't alter the, the, the actual purpose of what you're called to do. God has said, we're going to do this and therefore it's going to happen. You know, all of this stuff is noise. Get out of the way. I'm coming through. And it's just like, you know, it says in the psalm, is it 84? Where it says, Blessed is he whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, which means the valley of weeping, the valley of distress, the valley of difficulty, they will make it a place of springs. And they will come through to Zion. And that's the whole thing. We've got to come through these things. You've got to know where you're heading, know where you're going, and then all of those other things, you'll transform things as you go through. So, the subject which I was meted out today is honour. And it is one of our, um, it is one of our foundation stones. Uh, and it has like, made the light come on for me. Uh, in, a, in a number of different aspects. And uh, I think it is actually one of the main things which stops us from accessing lack of honour, not honour. Lack of honour actually stops us from accessing things of heaven. And let me explain a little bit why I think that. I'm going to start off with a scripture, Matthew 13, 54 to 58. Apologies for those who were there on Sunday morning because some of these scriptures have been read out in the last few days. <laughs> but that's okay. It's all the word of God and it's good. So Jesus 
When he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where did this man get all of these things? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said, A prophet is not without honour except in his own country and his own house. Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. You know, I read this thing, I read this scripture, which I've probably read a million times before, because you always read the Gospels quite a lot, don't you? Because they're quite easy and they've got stories in. Not too challenging. Um, but quite inspiring. And, but I had never seen this really before. But Jesus said, you know, because of the lack of honour, he said a prophet is not without honour except in his own country. And, you know, we, we sort of looked at this a number of times that, that quite often it was like when people went away over to other countries and stuff and did things on mission, that kind of all these amazing things happened. But as soon as they came home, there was like kind of nothing. It's the same people. It's the same God. It's the same prayers. It's the same words. It's the same sermons. And yet the result is different. And we began to sort of think about this and then realise that actually it is all about expectation and what we're expecting to happen you see when Jesus went around all the surrounding districts he was the person that was healing the sick raising the dead cleansing the lepers casting out the demons feeding the five thousand walking on the water he was that guy he was hey let's go and see him you know but when he came back to his own town he was just Jesus the son of Joseph you know and the brother of Joseph or whatever and all of that, they knew who he was, and so they had a different expectation of him. I said, well, he's just the carpenter's son. And therefore, Jesus was not able to do many mighty works amongst them. And we came to believe and realise that actually this honour thing, and this is, this is just really so cool, once you grasp it, it can really open up a lot of stuff for you. That this honour thing is like a set of pipework that connects someone who has something to give and someone who has something to receive. It's like a pipe that goes between them. And it's got a tap at each end. And anyone who's done anything to do with plumbing will know that water will only flow when both of the taps are open. So... When someone comes to your church, for example, and gets up to speak and says, there are people here that are going to get healed today, and he's kind of got the stirring of the Lord in his spirit, and he has some anointing to release, and some presence of God to kind of speak into the place. He's turned his tap on. Okay? But at the other end, if you're thinking, oh, no, I don't think that's going to happen, boom, your tap's just gone off. And you've blocked that flow. Or if you think, oh, I know, I know Phil, he's just going to sit up there and do what he normally does, you know. Your tap's gone off. 
because it's the expectation and it is that how we receive someone, we actually draw the gift out of them. That was a great story last night from Paul Wakeley, wasn't it, about his son Peter, who, the Down syndrome guy, if anyone wasn't here, you know, who uh, basically has a Down syndrome son who went out to the Philippines and uh, he came back and uh, he, uh, Paul like sent him out with a team, didn't go with him, but he came back and he stood up in church and said what had happened and spoke for 35 minutes, I think he said, with scriptures. And Paul was absolutely amazed and said, that is not possible. He cannot like speak like that coherently and in a in a in a you know straight line and he can't draw thoughts together like that because of his disability and uh, so he went out and took him out for coffee or whatever and uh, spoke to him about it and you know it was like he was talking to a different person it was like a new person was sitting in front of him uh, was talking and was enthusiastic and he began to talk to other people in the team and say, look, what's gone on there? Because, like, Peter is like... I think that was his name. Was that his name? Peter is like a different person and he's, like, he's like come up a level in the, in the Down's syndrome spectrum. He can now communicate and talk. And the guy said, I think what it is is that when he went to the Philippines, people didn't see the disability because they had so many needs themselves, were so poor and so had, you know, such difficulties that actually they received him as someone who had something to give, who had a gift within him, had anointing within him, and they drew it out of him. And he became the person that they were expecting him to be. Now, Paul and Sue, to Peter, to them, was their disabled son who had Down syndrome and so their expectation was that he would be disabled and so in a way he suddenly realised my goodness I've been keeping him down by my own expectations and by my own how I've been receiving him and I've not been drawing out of him you see inside as Paul was saying he was a fully able-bodied spirit man he was just kind of a normal person and with that spirit man as he said battling to get past of all of these kind of physical fleshly things that were trying to confuse the issue and kind of make things go wrong but when the conditions were right when the people received him with honour when they honoured him and drew out of him the gift that spirit was able to overcome that flesh and he began to stand up and become that person. Now that's a that is a really really good illustration of how honour can draw out of someone the gift that's within them, and lack of honour will keep them just as the carpenter's son, just as someone who can sweep up a bit of sawdust. The people outside received him maybe as the Messiah. I don't know what they were thinking at that time, but certainly the man that did miracles, and so. He did miracles. This is what honour is about. And it's not just about honouring the person that sits up in the front. It's actually seeing the person sitting next to you as having the Holy Spirit within them. That same Holy Spirit 
that raised Jesus from the dead, that powerful Holy Spirit is living in each one of you. And you are able to do that. And if you connect with someone that is able to do it, able to believe it and receive it, it will get drawn out of you. Do you see how it's our expectations, it is our minds, it is our history. It's a little bit like, you know, I can be doing all sorts of things and like doing meetings and preaching and going on mission to Uganda. But when I go back home to my mum and dad, I'm just Philip. Philip, tidy up your room. You know, and I actually revert back to type, you know. It's like you go back to that person that you never ever wanted to be. But it's sort of like the expectation is there that that's who you are. That's what the knowledge says. That's what they say. And it's actually quite difficult to break out of that. But we can, in our environment and with our set of people, we can make a conscious choice to bring about honour. So what does, what does this look like? How do, how do we do that? How do we physically do that? And I think, you know, I, it's like this new day thing. It's like we've got to put behind us, you've got to do it for yourself as well, because actually you will draw out of yourself the gift that's within you and it's your own unbelief that will limit you and keep you where you're at. Like you say, I'm just a person who never experiences the presence of God. And so you are. Okay? We need to draw a line under it, cross it out and say, that's history. That was yesterday. Today, God has brought me to this place at this time with these people to hear this message. It is a new day and none of that history counts because of the grace of God, because of the empowering presence of God. He can do anything. He seriously can do anything. You know, it's like there is no job too hard, no sin so great, no disability so limiting that he cannot overcome it and draw out the person that you were created to be. And we do the same thing to one another. And that's why we talk about in this church a culture of honour where we want to develop an environment where when anyone gets up, we cheer and say, yeah, go for it, do it. And if they say, right, let's, let's sing this song in this way, we don't say, oh, well, I don't do singing songs in this way. <laughs> I'm sorry but I'm not of that tribe. <laughs> we do things this way. No. The culture of honour says, I don't care that I, that I don't do things that way because I believe in that person and I really want that person to succeed. Therefore, I'm going to get up and do it. A little bit like when I've got up today and said, I believe we should do this step forward. Okay? Now, in a normal church meeting of kind of a couple hundred people or whatever, you would probably have about a third who would actually do something. There'd be another third who think they ought to do something and another third saying, we don't do stepping out. <laughs> I'm sorry, but, you know. But if we can change the culture 
that says, what have I got to lose? I could receive something here. Let's step out. Go have. Preach the word. Whether you, you know, get that witness yourself or not, if you align yourself with it and go with it, you get into the overflow and it creates an environment where the anointing can get released amongst us. Old Bill Johnson tells a wonderful story about his dog. Have you heard that? He's got this pointer dog and someone gave him this new pointer dog because he loves hunting. And when he was... When this dog was learning, he didn't quite know how to do it, you know, and he was like running around all over the place. But what they did was put it alongside another dog that was trained and was knew how to do it, and they would run together. And sometimes as they were running, the, the trained dog would get the scent of, of like the, the deer or whatever it is they're hunting and would point. And what would happen is the other dog, the younger dog, would see it and just align itself with the dog. He hadn't smelt it, didn't know, where, didn't know where, what he was doing, but he would point with the dog as well. He'd assume the position and he'd copy, and thereby would be getting into the flow of what was going on. And I think, you know, Bill often says, it, it's like it's the same thing in a meeting. You know, if he kind of looks around and sees someone beginning to experience the presence of God, and they've got their hands up and they're shaking. He goes and stands alongside and gets his hands up. <laughs> Even though he's not feeling it, he aligns himself with what's going on. And I think there's a lot to do with this. You know, so often we're filled, our heads are filled with what we think is the right way to do it. And I'm going to tell you the secret here. There is no right way to do it there's a wrong way to do it (laughs) but there is no right way that is the whole problem that man has been getting into since the beginning of time God put Adam and Eve in the garden and gave them two trees to choose from the tree of life and the tree of knowledge and man has been choosing the tree of knowledge ever since and it's been getting him into trouble every time We want a pattern. We want to say, if you do this, 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 and this, then this will happen. And it ain't like that. Because actually we're designed to be in a relationship. We're designed to be on a walk with God. We're designed to be in intimacy. And so it may well be different each time. Are people a bit cold? You're never cold, are you? Bless you, Wendy. We need to give you a seat outside the window or something so you can look in. I'm just, I'm a little bit chilly. Okay. But only half a degree's worth. It's about aligning ourselves. It's about honouring every person within the congregation, within, you know, it's about believing that they've got something to give. And when they stand up to make themselves vulnerable in some way, you get alongside. You say, right, how can we make this work? How can we do it? We've often said one of the definitions of honour for us is working hard to make someone else look good. You know, so much of what we do, uh, particularly in ministry, is about how we're perceived and how people think about us and all of that. 
But it's like the wrong emphasis. As soon as we start looking at ourselves and looking at how we're perceived, we start getting in trouble because you get into self. You get into um, just an, an indulgent way of living and that becomes self-focused. If we can keep looking out, follow the example of Jesus that he gave up his position as at the right hand of the Father on a throne with a robe round his back and took on the form of a servant to come and serve each one of us. To come and go through what he did. He laid down his own life in order that we might have life. And I think this is the, this is the backbone of what honour is all about. We don't look to ourselves to improve ourselves or to promote ourselves or to increase our standing or to fulfil ourselves or those things. But we look to others working hard to make someone else look good. And I think if we can get that in us, it creates such an irresistible atmosphere for the Holy Spirit. He loves it. He loves it. And I came to the realisation on Sunday morning that actually what we're talking about here is unity. That is what it is. It's like, you know, when there is this honour where everyone is preferring everyone else where we're kind of really going out of our way to help someone succeed, to help them grow in the Lord, help them to um, really uh, move forward and step into their destiny rather than looking at our own. That is what unity is. That's when everyone's doing it and suddenly there is this thing of just really pushing and promoting everyone forward. Now, does that mean that we sit back and do nothing and say, oh, well... I don't want to promote myself. No. We still come and we still have that revelation from God. But we can do it then in a, in a confidence. Because, I mean, generally speaking, you know, you can suggest something in this environment and pretty much everyone will say, yeah, let's give it a go. You know, there won't be, oh, it's been tried before. It'll never work. Generally, there isn't that. Almost it's gone a little bit the other way, so we don't kind of weigh things terribly. But there's this enthusiasm to just go and to give it a go. And uh, we were saying this in, in the prophetic stream yesterday. You know, with, with prophecy, you know, some, some people think, well, I don't want to be presumptuous. I don't want to presume on God, you know. And there was this great quote from Graham Cook yesterday on Facebook, the source of all information. But he was saying, there is nothing in the Bible about presumption, because God isn't that bothered about it, actually. He'd much rather, he'd much rather we stepped out and risked it and went for it. And so in our prophetic stream, we're saying, look, what's the worst can happen if you're keeping your prophecy into strengthening encouraging and comforting what is the worst that can happen someone's going to get a blessing that God never intended <laughs> boom result you know and God smiles he likes it when we step out he likes it when we go for it he likes it when we believe even if it hasn't come from him it probably did anyway you know it's, but it's our mind thinking oh we can't do this we can't it's not us it's not you know and so on so, anyway, where are we? I haven't even looked at these once. 
What is that? It's doing that. I think we've said that. So, yeah. I mean, one of one of uh, my great examples of this is, um, which those of you who were here last year will have heard this, and those of you who are in the lighthouse will have heard it till you're sick to death of it. But it was the time when I went over to Malaysia and had just an amazing experience with God. And let me just kind of run through the story a little bit because it, it gives an illustration of how, with our heart attitude, it can really open us up to receive more of God. Okay? Um, we're... Um, so just before the church was starting, for those of you who don't know, we, how it all started was that God spoke to Heather and myself a long, long time ago, say like maybe 25 years ago, something like that, with just a single sentence he dropped into both of our consciousnesses on like almost like about two or three days apart. I, I got it first and then she got it. And... Uh, it was basically, there will be a new church in Lichmer Travers. Boom. What on earth to do with that? I was like, just got no interest in starting a church, no interest in being in ministry, had very little interest in actually going to church at the time, but I was doing it out of duty. And, uh, but then God speaks this little word in, and, you know, Heather turned to me that one day and said, you know, I think the Lord said something a bit strange to me today. And I said, be quiet, woman. I know what it is. <laughs> I said, there will be a new church in Lichmer Travers. And her jaw dropped open. And she said, yeah, exactly the same thing. Anyway, that kicked us off on this journey of um, just what on earth do you do with that? You know, seriously, I was a software engineer. She was a mum and a teacher and... Uh, we just really had no interest in doing that. Even then, we thought, when that word came, we thought, someone's going to come and start a new church in Lichmer Travers, and we might go along to it. It might be kind of a bit of fun. Give a few bob, you know, into the collection, and that was about the limit of what we were expecting to do. And uh, But that word came, and we went through this quite long process where God began to change our hearts. And Actually, the word, once it comes, it's an amazing thing. When, when God speaks a word, it initiates a process in you. And you think, you know, we've, we tried to chuck it away. We tried to move on to it. We tried to move area at one stage. We even sold the house. We had it on the market. It was all done and dusted until the last minute. And suddenly they announced this big landfill about... 50 yards up the road from our house and it just killed the market. God will go to some extremes, I tell you, to keep you in the right place at the right time. But anyway, we went through this process and the word, which started quite innocently, ended up really unsettling us and thinking, we have got to get to grips with what this means. And so I decided, with the help of Phil and Avril's eldest son, Andy, to go over to this school of prophecy. And uh, it was his suggestion that we went to Malaysia, which seems like a bit of a long way to go for me. But sometimes a bit of sacrifice has to be made. And uh, it was definitely God in it. And so I knew I was supposed to be going there. 
And we went and we arrived at this place ready to hear from God. We knew this man was kind of very prophetic. He prophesied over Rory and Wendy Alec who'd started God TV and um, had like called them out. And we thought, yeah, this is the sort of revelation we need. Let's go and get and learn from the best, as it were. So we went along and we arrived in this place. I think when I arrived on this bus with chickens sitting on your lap and all of this sort of stuff, no suspension and things like that, I, we drove into this place, Moir, and I said, this is seriously the armpit of the galaxy. <laughs> it is like, it was horrid. It was hot. It was smelly. It had all of these open sewers everywhere with strange crocodile-type creatures crawling out of them and, and stuff like that, you know. And uh, we got into the place which was just this tiny little unassuming building in the middle of a sort of residential place and got, there was no aircon. It was 40 degrees Celsius day and night. I was put in this little bunk room with kind of six other guys or whatever who snored mercilessly and it was uh, we didn't the first room I was in didn't even have a window it was like it was like landlocked you know and it was seriously hot and I thought I'm gonna die I am seriously gonna die out here and uh, no one will know fortunately they had mercy and moved moved the, the westerners over to a place that had a little bit of air coming in um, but everything about the place just offended me it really did offend me it was uncomfortable it was the f- I didn't like the food it was all kind of fish and spice and which now I love incidentally uh, but at the time I didn't and it was all right out of my comfort zone and um, and I, we got into these meetings and the first thing that Jonathan David says is right over this two weeks we're not going to prophesy over anyone what? I've come four and a half thousand miles to be prophesied over and you have announced that you're not going to prophesy over anyone. And my heart sank. And they said, right, this is, this is for you to learn how to hear God's voice. I said, I've already heard God's voice. It's just what to do with the wretched thing I need to know. And um, so we get in there. I'm kind of a bit depressed. We go into the first meeting. They say, right, we're going to do these pressing in times now. And uh, they had two people in the musician's team. One had a bass drum and not much else. The other one had a Bon Tempe organ, which he played with one finger and an automatic sort of like thing going on in the background. (laughs) And they would get going and they would just start worshipping God and shouting and jumping. and, And I'm kind of looking at this thinking... Seriously, <laughs> no, no, and I, this was the first night, and I, I got off that thing, and I found a phone, and I said to Heather, Heather, you've got to get me home, phone the travel agent, just uh, rearrange the ticket, you know, this is, I am not going to be able to last two weeks of this, I, I will have a breakdown, and she gets on the phone, she says to me, Bill, do not come home till you got what you went for. (laughs) She's usually right. (laughs) 
She gave me a little bit of a talking to over the phone. We'd invested a lot, a lot of money. You know, a lot of all of our um, holiday time had been invested for that year because I was working for an engineering company at the time. And everyone had given up a lot. She'd given up a lot as well because her mum was terribly disapproving of the whole thing that we would waste such a lot of money on doing this. My dad was the opposite, who wasn't a Christian and paid for my flights to go, so, which was amazing. But Anyway, so I said, yes, you're right, you're right. And I took a decision at that moment to say, right, okay, I can do this. I gave myself a little bit of a talking to. I said, like, it's two weeks, I'm here for two weeks. I'm, uh, uh, you know, what's the worst that can happen, Okay. So I eat something and I feel a bit ill. That's not the end of the world. I'm not going to die. So I get a little bit of hot at night. And I get a few sleepless nights. I get tired in the end and fall asleep. You know, I began to just go through it and say, it's not as bad as it looks. And I thought, no, Heather's right. I've got to really align myself to God to receive everything that he has for me at this time. This moment that we've put aside. And so I said, right, as of this moment, he is the teacher, Jonathan David. I am the student. I positioned myself. If he says, get up and stand on your chair, I'm going to get up and stand on my chair. If he says, jump around and hug the people around you, I'm going to do it. I am, when the worship starts, I am going to, instead of drifting to the back as I had done, just hoping I wouldn't be noticed, I'm going to go up the front and I'm going to get right in there and I'm just going to do whatever they're doing. I'm going to do my pointer dog bit. Okay? I don't believe that it's because of what they're doing, you know, but there was something about just aligning myself in this teacher-student sort of role that says, for this two weeks, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put aside all my own preferences doesn't matter what I like or don't like. It doesn't matter what styles of music I like or don't like. I am just going to go with this. And I got up there and I just started whooping and hollering and jumping and going for it in the spirit, you know. And before very long, I was actually quite enjoying it. I realized actually it was my own inhibitions that were stopping me from joining in and actually enjoying the moment. And I suddenly saw these people and I thought, man, these people are passionate. They are passionate for God. You know, like, even though they haven't got all the skills and the, uh, the musicians and the PA and all of that sort of stuff, they are passionate for God and they are going for it. They are really just like calling out on his name and praying and they're, they're not worrying about what people think about them and all of that stuff. And I thought, I'm, I'm going there. I'm going to that same place. I want what they've got. And I joined in and we started worshipping and praising. And for two weeks, I went through many experiences which I would have instantly said, I don't do that. Instantly. But then I thought, no, I do do that because I'm the student, he's the teacher. And so I just did whatever they said. I thought, no one knows me here. Who am I going to look bad in front of? Those strangers. So what? Let's go for it. Let's go for it. And I began to push in and push in and push in. And actually the two weeks was the most amazing time. I really found that Jonathan David had this amazing gift of revelation and he could teach like this 
from like nine o'clock in the morning till almost five o'clock in the evening without drawing breath, without using notes. He would just, uh, and it was fascinating, absolutely fascinating as he unfolded the scriptures. And I was, in the end, I quite enjoyed it. And I started quite looking forward to the pressing in times in the evening. And we got to the last day, second last day, I think, and I got up for the pressing in time. I think it was a Friday evening. We'd perhaps due to come back on the Sunday or something. And uh, I thought, right, up the front, get straight up there. As soon as it started, I started going for it. And all of a sudden, I began to experience the presence of God on me. And I sort of knew it was because I'd had a, a previous experience where he'd come and just like revealed his physical presence to me. What it felt like was like my cheeks had started going a bit tingly, my nose and my ears and my lips started going a bit numb. And I thought... I've recognised this, I've had this before, this is God, this is God. And Jonathan David had actually taught <coughs> and said, look, because it was in the, it was around about the same time as Toronto was happening. And um, he said, look, when these manifestations come on you, don't just sort of look and say, ooh, my hands are tingling, look, woo. And uh, actually what he's doing is drawing your heart. He's trying to get your attention. He wants you he wants to share intimacy with you. So when his presence comes, your response is to worship, is to, is to just worship him. And so I said, right, he's the teacher. I'm the student. The presence of God has come. I'm going to worship. I got down on my knees and I just began saying, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Oh, Jesus. And I just repeated it over and over again. And this sense of his presence got stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger and before very long I was completely incapacitated it was like the, it, there was like this electricity was just going through every fibre of my body from my fingertips to my toes it was like it was like there was like a light shining through every bit of it now this was extraordinary okay this was an amazing thing which has happened to me once hasn't happened like that again. I've had other things which, you know, uh, where I experienced the presence of God. But this, something was going on in this one. And I kind of lay down on the floor because I was just, could not move at the end of the day. It became much more comfortable to stretch out on the floor. And right in the middle of this kind of pressing in time with the bass bone going, all of that, suddenly I found myself like in quiet it was the weirdest feeling ever and I for a moment I knew what it meant when it says in the scriptures I think in Ephesians that we're seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus I realised I was there and he was there he was like right with me and it was the most amazing feeling nothing else I mean there was like um, no kind of angels and Activity. It was just quiet. It was peaceful. I was completely oblivious to everything else going on around me. And uh, in, in that time, just in that brief moment, I saw like a few kind of images which I believe he was showing me about kind of something about the way we should move forward, which I won't go into now. But then it was over. And it seemed like just a few seconds and um, and then gradually 
I became aware of a little bit of activity around me. I began feeling this pulsating going through my body again. And uh, gradually, I sort of came to and I looked up and almost everyone had gone out the room. It was like deserted. There was just two guys left, Andy, um, fellow now son, and this one guy, this pastor from Papua New Guinea, who just stayed, seen what was happening, and prayed and soaked me for the whole time. I was out cold for about an hour and a half. I thought it had been like a minute. It was weird. It was the weirdest sensation, but I'd just been out, and they'd all gone. They'd all gone downstairs to have their supper and stuff. But anyway, the upshot of it was various things happened, which we won't go into now. But the next day, Jonathan David came and said, Look, I hear one of the Englishmen has had an encounter. Would he care to come and give testimony? And so up I got and began to give, give testimony to what had happened. And of course, the same thing started happening again. Quite often when you talk about something, the same thing starts to repeat. And, and uh, told them all about what was happening. And he said, right, okay, I know I said I wasn't going to prophesy over anyone but the spirit of prophecy has come on me and I have to discharge it now. And uh, so he kind of sat me down and uh, started the tape rolling and began to just speak over my life and over Heather's life and over the kids' lives. He didn't know them. He hadn't seen them because it was only me there. But he began to speak and he, he described our house and the building work that we'd done on it and various things that we'd done in and around the house and our family. And then began to say, right, you've been waiting for someone to come along and do this job. Well, the Lord's saying it's you. He has set you apart this day to, do, to be a minister to him. This is your ordination day. And seriously, I mean, sometimes people say, what credentials have you got? I don't have anything on paper but God has ordained me. He has because I've heard it and I've felt it and I've been there. You know, and I have a confidence that he has equipped me. He has chosen me to do whatever it was I needed to do. And that's what I mean about having a confidence about your purpose and what you're supposed to be doing. And it was amazing. And at that moment, I changed into a completely different person. I always, like, joke that I went out the software engineer and came back like a minister. It was, if, if you knew what I was like before... Honestly, I was like a shirker. I seriously was. I did not want to get involved in anything. I hated any attention coming towards me. I was incredibly, painfully shy. The thought of doing something like this would have made me vomit. I would have, like, gone sick. I would have had someone send a note in, you know. It, the, even in work, I found it really difficult to actually stand up in front of people and uh, to do a presentation or do a talk and... I mean, I now know that was the enemy trying to limit me. He'd given me, you know, various experiences through my life. I'd been bullied at certain times. I'd been embarrassed publicly a couple of times as a child. And it had really colored me. And I thought, that is the last time I ever stand out in public, you know. And it had shaped me and, and colored me. Now, whether the enemy knew what my destiny was, I have a wonder about that or whether he just does it to everyone, to stop them talking. But it had stopped me from stepping into the thing that I needed to do. So 
But when Jonathan David prophesied over me, it's like something lifted off me. It's like I changed into a different person altogether and was able to step out. And I came back with a new conviction, didn't I? I think they were all quite surprised because everything had been drifting along. We had a few people praying in the house at the time. And uh, I said, look, I think God's calling us to be church in Lichima Travers. And we're going to do it. We're going to be it, you know. Who wants to come along for the ride? And kind of everyone who was there said, yay, let's go. About time to. I've had that said over me a lot of times, actually. Even in this prophecy, for goodness sake, Jonathan David said, some people call you cautious, Phil. (laughs) You need to get off your bum and get going. (laughs) No, it is right. It is right. I am a cautious person and I wait and I, I want to see what's right. I want to do the right thing. But once convinced, then let's go for it. So the whole point of it is honour. It's aligning yourself. It's about positioning yourself to receive. And I seriously think the whole church will work such a lot better if we can get this whole culture of honour where we just really believe in each other. We really believe in the Spirit of God that is within each person to receive what it is that they have. You know, it's like Paul was saying last night, it's sometimes we position ourselves in a position of superiority and we think, well, they haven't quite got it. You've instantly blocked yourself off from receiving anything that they have. Now, when I went over to Malaysia, did I want to say, right, we're all going to become Malaysian now. Let's kind of dye our faces, stretch our eyes a little bit and kind of really get do everything the same as they did. We want to look. No. I saw lots of things over there that I didn't like. And I thought, I don't want to be just like this. But I saw something in them that I wanted. There was this passion. There was this, there was this honour incredible cultural honour. They are the most lovely people, the Malaysians. They're, they're happy to serve. They're happy to really work hard to make someone else look good. And, I, and that, I think, was my first, although I didn't realise it at the time, that was my first experience of a people that can really honour each other. And uh, So, we have to have the ability to see into people and see the treasure that they've got and to, through honour, through honouring them, draw that gift out and draw them into the person that they're supposed to be. And so that, that's the culture that we've got to adopt in our meetings, in our relationships, in our families. All the time. You know, the, there's the way that the English culture is, it likes to point out what's wrong. You know? I always said in Siemens' work in there, if you could harness the negative energy that ran around that place, you could do away with nuclear power once and for all. It's seriously, people just love to come in and say, oh, it's terrible today. And the other person would say, well, that's nothing. You should see what I've come from. You know, It's like we delight in just stating the negative things of tearing people down, of pointing out what's wrong with them. And I think what honour is, is coming in an opposite spirit. It's really believing in one another, working hard to make each other look good. It's when we talk about someone 
don't talk about the things that aren't quite right. Everyone's got stuff that isn't right about them. Everyone has. You don't need to point that out to someone else. But you could point out to someone else actually the good stuff about them. They're good qualities. You could big people up. You can, And this is what we're about. Changing the whole culture about the way we relate together, the way we talk about each other, the way we respond to each other. When someone puts their head up over the parapet and says, let's give this a go, we're trying to encourage people, get behind them. Say, yeah, let's do that. Let's go for it. And I would encourage you, even tonight as we get into praise and worship, and Christine is coming to speak to us tonight and it's going to be a rocking and rolling time. But if we receive her, you know, the scriptures say, if you receive a prophet in a prophet's name, you get the prophet's reward. Okay? It's about receiving someone. So when we come together, when the worship team get up, who is incidentally me, you have to go with me, okay? I don't want old stony faces saying, we don't like that song. <laughs> Align yourself and go with it. Step out. Go a little bit further. When Christina gets up to speak, receive it. She's got a treasure to bring tonight. Miracles could break out tonight. But it's not just her responsibility. It's us. We create the atmosphere that pull it out. That pull those things out. Pull the word of knowledge out. Pull prophecy out. Pull the anointed preach out. You know, it's we make it happen. We've got to turn the taps on at our end. It's not just her responsibility to turn her tap on and hose us down. All right? We have to receive it. We have to receive it. And so, align yourselves. Position yourselves. Do away with all of that history that says, I don't do that. I find it very hard to do this. And so on. Just put all of those aside for just a little while and see what happens. Okay? My experience is I've gone from someone with the oak of righteousness anointing to someone who just experiences the presence of God on a daily, hourly, minutely basis. I've only just got to think of something and his presence comes. I just feel it descend on me like, like a cloak's been put over my head and shoulders. It is, it's wonderful, but it's a journey. It's a journey about aligning yourselves. It's a journey about stepping out, like we were hearing last night, abandoned praise, abandoned... Um, just going beyond perhaps what you would normally do. Is that all right? I wonder, I wonder if I said what I intended to say. Some good stories in there. There was lots of scriptures, but we never did those. Do that another time, eh? I think, we, I think we've done enough. We should just like stand and pray. And then we'll have a few minutes before lunchtime to just... Relax and chill and powder our noses. Thank you, Lord. Father, thank you that we are all on a journey. That uh, you have chosen us and appointed us and created good works for us to step into from before the foundations of the earth being laid. Lord, you have picked us. And our futures are sure that everything that has happened in our lives has led up to a certain point 
But from now, there is an exciting adventure. Every day, there is amazing possibilities to step out into for you. And I really just pray, Lord, you would speak into our hearts. Just take these words, take these experiences, these stories, and plant them like seeds in our hearts. And help us. Holy Spirit, we do need your help because our natural state (coughs) is not to necessarily always be honouring. It's very tempting to get caught up in the gossip and the, um, just joining in stuff. And we don't want it, Lord. We want to create an atmosphere that is irresistible to you. How pleasant it is when the brothers dwell together in unity. It's like the anointing oil pouring over Aaron's head, down his beard, over his garments, and down right the way down to the ground. Lord, in that place, you, the Lord, command a blessing. Father God, and we want to be in that place. So give us the heart that will work hard to make others look good, that will really support, we'll have the spirit of cooperation rather than a spirit of resistance, and that we'll be people that say, yes, we can do that, rather than, wait a minute, Lord, we want to be those people. We want to be like the spies who went into the land and said, we can do this. It's a good place. The fruit is good. The harvest is there. We can take them with our God. We want to have that heart. and We want to have that heart for each other and to really run with each other. So come, Holy Spirit, teach us. You said you'll teach us all things and so show us the way to do it. Speak to us when we're going slightly down the wrong route. Encourage us when we're going down the right route. And I just pray that over this next few days that your presence will just keep coming and coming and coming. Whoa. Thank you that you're here. You're here and you just want to meet with each of your dear children. You want to wrap your arms around them. You want to fill them up afresh. You want to bless them and you want to just for them to have encounters with you. Lord, it's just amazing. Just amazing that you love us and that you want to be with us. So come, Lord. Come, Lord. I just bless each person to receive their own personal encounter with you, whatever it looks like, whether it's dreams, whether it's visions, whether it's your presence being poured out, whether it's a physical feeling, whether it's your voice speaking to them. I just release encounters now in the name of Jesus. And as we align ourselves and just surrender ourselves in worship at the different times, Lord, just come and meet us. Let your presence increase. In Jesus' name. Amen.